This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. The federal government's public health emergency for COVID-19 expires on Thursday, and the state emergency here in Illinois ends the same day. The World Health Organization, well, after three years, it recently ended its designation. I declare COVID-19 over as a global health emergency. However, that does not mean COVID-19 is over as a global health threat. WHO Director General Dr. Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus speaking there. Here to help us make sense of what these changes at the state, federal, and global levels mean for you is infectious disease specialist Dr. Mia Teramina with Dooley Health and Care. Welcome back, doctor. Hey, Sasha. It's been so long. It's I know. It's been a That's while. A thing, in a lot yeah, of ways. It, it is, right? It's largely because uh, COVID's been in low transmission in and around Chicago for a while uh, right now. But how are things going at your practice when it comes to COVID? Yeah, exactly as they have been over the last few months, we're not seeing a whole lot of it. Um, when we do see COVID, it is usually someone who's elderly, maybe is a little dehydrated, just not able to keep up feeling unwell. And the hospitalizations are generally brief. We're not seeing too many folks getting seriously ill at all from COVID. Um, not to say that that's not happening elsewhere mm-hmm. in the United States, but, you know, locally, we've been doing pretty well for some time at, at this moment. At, this exact moment in time, I have no one in the hospital personally with with COVID at all. Great. That's great. Great to hear. You know, as someone who worked in the trenches, so to speak, throughout this pandemic, I'm curious what you make of political leaders and, and the world's public health body ending all these COVID emergencies. I think there had to be an end, Um, and I think that this is a decent and reasonable time. We still have parts of the world where there's active ongoing infection in considerable numbers, but here in the U.S. and locally, I mean, looking at that map of, of COVID transmission in the U.S. and seeing a mostly green map is something that is so refreshing compared to what we have seen in years past. I do appreciate that the emergency designations and declarations that were due to end in March and April were kind of extended a little bit to this May 11th date because we have essentially had ample time over the last several months to try and wind down and appreciate what this is going to look like from May 11th onward in mm-hmm. terms of testing, access to treatment, access to, um, you know, vaccines and all of that moving forward. So we have had some time and I think we're in a reasonable place to say the public health emergency is over. By no means does that mean that COVID is gone. Yeah. Can you clarify that? Uh, we heard there in that clip, uh, it's COVID is now a threat, not an emergency. What's the difference? You know, I think that we can look at it a lot like we do about influenza and other respiratory viruses. We now have something that has, over the last three-plus years, become uh, something that is less virulent. It's more manageable. We do have vaccines that are effective. We do have treatments that are effective. And we know what mitigation strategies work. And there is that component of individual responsibility that we're each able to take in kind of deciding lower-risk and higher-risk activities, depending on our own individual risk factors. And because of that, and knowing that COVID has now entrenched itself into, you know, the the global uh, trends towards viruses that are going to be with us indefinitely, um, we're at a point where we can say this is not an emergency, but it is something that we will need to pay attention to, be cognizant of, and be uh, ready to treat and test for, especially seasonally moving forward. Let's listen to a little bit more of what Dr. Tedros had to say on Friday. Last week, 
COVID-19 claimed life every three minutes. And that's just the deaths we know about. As we speak, thousands of people around the world are fighting for their lives in intensive care units. And millions more continue to live with the debilitating effects of post-COVID-19 condition. This virus is here to stay. It's still killing. Your reaction, doctor? Certainly, when we look at this global population, especially in areas that are less served and have less access to treatments, vaccines, mitigation strategies, we are going to see those continued uh, overwhelming numbers and trends in some areas. Fortunately, here in the U.S., um, we're looking at numbers that are more in the hundreds of deaths as opposed to thousands that we had seen before, um, and that's weekly. Um, but, yeah, I mean, make no mistake, we don't want to see hundreds of deaths weekly due to any condition in the U.S. And, you know, COVID has fixated itself in, as a top 10 cause of death in the United States, you know, for the last couple of years in many age categories. And that's something that I would like to see over time move its way back down the line to something that is less life-threatening. But mm. we are still losing people. This is still a threat to the most vulnerable, um, you know, and it's a threat that I will now regard very similar to influenza, parainfluenza, RSV, and other respiratory viruses that can really wreak havoc on someone that's immune system is not, you know, the most robust. Let's talk about what's going to be changing this Thursday when the, the state and federal public health emergencies lift. So as far as we know so far, no more free testing. Is that right? So yes and no. I think that there are going to be some people that have supplies of government-issued free tests uh, that they're going to be able to wind down and use until those supplies are exhausted. They may become increasingly more difficult to find. And frankly, since we haven't gotten new supplies, there may not be access to testing at some uh, you know sites where you were able to get free testing before. As far as home testing goes, if you haven't requested four free home tests since the middle of December, you should be eligible for four more. So I would do that before the 11th in the next couple of days here to try and go ahead and, and get four more free COVID home tests. And for the most part, if you were getting reimbursed from your insurance for purchasing testing uh, at commercial pharmacies, it is unlikely that that will continue after the 11th either. All right. So uh, what about for, for people who are super strict and they're only hanging out with folks inside after people have tested? If the tests aren't free anymore, do you think that folks will be paying out of pocket or is this just going to add to the epidemic of isolation? And loneliness. Well, there is there is certainly an epidemic of isolation and loneliness, and it's still interesting to me when I see folks that have been so, so, so conservative about their layers of mitigation and staying isolated. At some point, we have to, you know, re-enter society, and for many of us, we have uh, in, in the last year especially. We've had a more normal school year. We've had a more normal work year. People are returning to work in office, et cetera. But for people that are staying home and really isolating themselves, yes, there could potentially be an out-of-pocket cost if testing is being used as a mitigation measure and as a check. And I worry about that. I think that the most reasonable thing to do is to 
uh, continue to stay up to date on available vaccines. Be aware of the fact that there are treatment options. And yes, uh, those treatments are no longer going to be free once the supply is exhausted. But we do have treatments that will likely move into the commercial market and mm-hmm. insurances will see um, what's covered and what isn't covered. But I want people to know that, you know, avoiding those larger crowds and avoiding spaces that you are more at risk for for exposures to anything might be reasonable if you're immune compromised, but staying completely isolated at home and only testing uh, before you go out and if you're interacting with certain people, that may be a bit much with the current level of community transmission. Doctor, we're also going to see a change in how the CDC reports COVID data. What do we know about that? You know, so the CDC is going to continue to process any av- available information that they receive. And it's going to take us years and years and decades, a lifetime of data that we've collected through this whole pandemic to, you know, really tease out numbers. I think the CDC is going to continue to report to the best of their abilities, uh, you know, on a more national scale, death rates and infection rates, but breaking it down to community levels, county levels, et cetera, that level of, of scrutiny and that level of data collection is probably not going to be done moving forward. Mm. But again, we are still very interested in the impact of, you know, how many folks are dying of this. And as this becomes, you know, one of the major leading causes of death, as it has in the last several years, how will that pan out moving forward? So yeah, we'll we'll uh, still be able to make informed decisions about the level of risk, right? We should be, yep. And and we're going to still hear on a local level from our own health departments and from our own states, you know, what's going on trend-wise. I, I fully expect we are going to see numbers come up in the fall again. That's when we should see numbers come up. And that might be something that folks are really interested in paying attention to statistic-wise and uh, making decisions based on their own risk. Yeah. Well, you know, life's returned more or less to, to normal uh, for quite a few people, but there are still folks who remain immunocompromised, right? So how do we continue to keep everyone safe? Yeah, you know, throughout this pandemic, looking back, I've had a bunch of different strategies to help people who are immune suppressed. We were able to give certain monoclonal antibody therapies, and those just are not available at this point. We don't have preventative and proactive treatments like that. What we do have are our vaccines, and we, um, you know, I get a constant question right now, am I eligible for another bivalent booster? And the answer to that is if you're over 65 or if you have health risks regardless of your age and you feel that you are at risk for COVID and more severe disease, and it's been at least two to four months, depending on your age and health risks, since your last bivalent booster, you can get another bivalent booster right now, especially if you have um, upcoming travel, you're going to be on cruise ships, you're going to be in large uh, theaters and in large sporting events and Mm -hmm. things like that. Um, That would be very reasonable to do. If not, uh, and you don't fall into those categories, I think most of us are going to be coming up on that one-year mark since our bivalent doses in the fall. And that'll be a good time right around the time where we get our flu shots, where the rest of us are likely going to get our next dose of bivalent vaccine. So that's going to be the most important part, is kind of staying up to date on the vaccines that you're eligible to receive, Mm -hmm. kind of considering your activities and who you're going to be around, especially if there's going to be large crowds, especially if indoors. And masking continues to be an option, especially if you're going to be in higher risk areas. Now that we've gone sort of mask optional in all of our healthcare facilities and clinics, I'm looking at uh, about a 50-50 on folks that are still feeling more comfortable in a 
healthcare environment masking most of the time. I'm curious your thoughts on this because trust in the CDC and public health officials, that's waned in the past few years, doctor. Do you think it's possible to rebuild that trust? That's a tough question. Um, I think that, and I don't want to be tested again by any stretch, but our our approach to the next pandemic uh, needs to be cleaner based on everything that we've learned. And, you know, when it comes to public health emergencies, you know, what worked, what didn't work, what means of communication worked, what didn't work. Looking back, we can all play Monday morning quarterback. There are a lot of things all of us would have done differently. And there were a lot of times that we had to make the best decisions at the time with the information that we had. It's not right or fair of us to look back on this pandemic and say we coulda, shoulda, woulda, because Mm -hmm. at those moments in time, we were building the plane as we were flying it and making the best decisions that we had. And now looking back, sure, I can I can look at a lot of input that I had. We can listen to all of our radio shows over the last three years and see how much has changed yeah. and how many opinions have changed. Um, but it is going to be difficult because we're not looking at the overwhelming ask from the CDC and public health entities in the moment in time, we're looking at it retrospectively saying this should have been differently. And that's not entirely fair. We'll leave it there. That's Dr. Mia Teramina, infectious disease specialist at Dooley Health and Care. Thank you so much, doctor. Take care. Thank you.